smile. <laughs> there, you see, you do. You do have it. <laughs> don't touch me. Please don't touch me. I don't like to be touched. Why do you giggle? Because you make me feel kind of hysterical, Mr. Vaccaro. <laughs> Mr. Vaccaro. Yes. I, I think I'll go and make us some lemonade. Sticklish business any way you look at it. Come on, we'll stick together. for taking the time out to talk to me today. This is an honor for me. Oh, I don't know there's such an honor. Let me just give you a brief thing of who I am today. Sure. I'm I'm 88 years old, and I'm in pretty good health. And my big accomplishment at 88 is the fact that I just published a new book. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's a mystery uh, called Who Killed Big Al? It's, um, I was very much influenced by Agatha Christie. Mm -hmm. Now, this is my fourth book. I was going to say, you've uh, written several. Yeah, I, I wrote in the, in the 80s. I wrote uh, Baby Doll, an autobiography. And then I had, uh, I lived in Rome. So I wrote a novel about Rome called A Roman Tale. And then I uh, spent a long time in Africa, which I loved, and I wrote a book called To Africa with Love. Wow. You've just given me more reading material to add to my ever-expanding <laughs> book list. Yeah, well, read the mystery first and see if you can help me sell it. <laughs> of course, of course. A friend of mine uh, called me up and said, I'm never going to have dinner with you again. I said, oh, why? Well, he said, I just read your book. You know all kinds of poisons, poison berries and poison leaves <laughs> and poison things dropping off trees. And po I, said, <laughs> I said, yes, but that's Agatha Christie. Right. She did all the research. I just copied down all the poisons. <laughs> <laughs> well, seriously, it is an honor to get to talk to you. I'm a huge fan of, of all your films. So it's been oh, really? awesome. Oh, oh my yeah. Gosh. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I, I, yeah, now wait. Another thing that's very important about oh, me is the fact that, for example, a big film like How the West Was Won. You mm -hmm. remember How the West Was Won? Yes. Okay. All those wonderful stars. I'm the only one alive now that Debbie's gone. Yeah, yeah. And that's that's why I use my – I don't have much pull at Forbes because uh, I'm just a contributor, but it's why a big thing of, of what I write is talking about, you know, classic film because it's just – it's so hard to get access to things nowadays and, and everybody, you know, the, well, the loss of Debbie everybody's was – Everybody's gone. Yeah, I exactly. Mean, it's Oh, if I mention all the movies I made, maybe there's there's one there's one guy. I think George Maharis is still around. Mm -hmm. I, I was in Sylvia with him, but I think everybody else, everybody above the line, they're gone. It's I, terrible. I don't have any friends. Oh my god. Well, I did a I did an interview with uh with Carrie Moore a couple couple months ago. We were talking about you know her films and and you know the forties, and I think they were just saying something on uh, online that Baby Peggy, Diana Sarah Carey is. There's one more like the the child stars of the silent era, there's only like one or two left. 
Yeah, I know, I know. It's yeah. It's why it's, it's why a very it's... funny position to be in because, like, I love talking to you. <laughs> I, this is an interview I really wanted to do. Oh, but thank I have you. to tell you that every time somebody writes a biography about a movie star or something about Hollywood, I'm the only one around. They make me crazy. Oh, everybody, really? Yeah, everybody wants to talk to me about whatever book they're writing. And and I can't do it. I mean, I just don't have the energy to do all that. <laughs> well, and I mean, it, it, you know, it's it's fascinating. I was I was looking over the the list of films that you made during that that time period, and it's amazing for me, at least, to to realize that one of your first your first film was in an Esther Williams movie. Um, and I'm a huge Esther fan, and I was so shocked that I did not know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, actually, I kept that secret. Oh, really? <laughs> that was a small part, and that was before I studied acting or anything. I think I wasn't too bad at it, but George Stevens introduced me in Giant, and that right. was a big thing. So I just simply ignored uh, <laughs> I ignored Esther Williams. <laughs> well, I, you know, I think it's, I, I mean, do you remember the, the audition process for just kind of breaking, or at least breaking into to Hollywood at that time. I mean, Easy to Love and Giant, two very different movies, and, and you know, I, I think I love them differently in different ways, but do you recall, you know, the, I guess, breaking into Hollywood and the process that that was for you? Yeah, yeah. It, it, well, I was very lucky because I was accepted at the actor's studio. This is when I first wanted to act. So I had taken Lee Strasberg's private classes. And by the way, one of my classmates became very, very famous, Mike Nichols. <laughs> and he was so, I don't know why he was in this beginning class, because he was so much more advanced than anybody. And you could see how funny he was, how how talented he was. So at any rate, I, some years later, well, shortly before he passed away, I guess, I met him at a party. I thought we were friends. And he said to me, have you never wondered why I didn't cast you in any of my films? So my mouth dropped open. I mean, I know I, I, I never thought of that. I never thought, oh, that part would have been good for me. I couldn't say anything. And then he said to me, and you know why? I didn't know, Mike, why? He said, because when we were in class together, you refused to do a scene with me. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you. I thought about that afterwards, and I know why. I mean, he was so advanced, and he was so strong, and I knew that if I did a scene with him, it would be everything he wanted me to do. Mm-hmm. And I was just learning, and I wanted to do things for myself. So I picked a guy in the class who was <laughs> who was very weak. So I was the one that directed the scenes. I was the one that told him what to do. <laughs> and I should have told Mike that, but because I think maybe he thought I turned him down because of you know his looks or something. Right. Gotta love the, the you know, I, I try not to go into the whole fragile ego of masculinity, but it's hard not to after stories like that. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess, how did that transition into Hollywood? Well, 
Um, the, the, the way it happened was that I auditioned twice for the actor's studio. The second time I got in, and the studio was a magic name at that time. It's still around, but it it isn't what it used to be. Right. It's different. And yeah. you know, they had they had had the, the big success with Marlon Brando and Eva Marie Saint and everybody, and then they heard that that I was young, that I was pretty, and that I was accepted at the actor's studio, so it must mean that I could act. <laughs> so lots of directors from Hollywood wanted me to work with them. And I did one or two screen tests, and I wasn't happy because I didn't understand the lingo. I, I didn't understand, you know, what they wanted, what I should do. And so I turned it down. And I said to uh, Lee Strasberg, I said, Lee, you know, I'm getting a bit concerned because so many people from Hollywood are coming to me. They want me to work for them. And I don't feel that I've studied enough. I don't feel that I'm ready. But on the other hand, also, I know that these people won't keep coming to me forever if I keep turning them down. And he said to me, well, Carol, what you do is you choose a great director and put yourself in his hands. And that's why I did Giant. Well, can you talk about working on, on Giant? Yeah. With, with I mean, that is, a, it's obviously, it's in the title. It's a gigantic movie. But having that be your, you know, big claim to fame coming out of, of acting school. I mean, what, what was that? What was the pressure like? Because I'm, I'm panicking just thinking about it. Well, the great thing about a really good director is that they cast you in a part because you're absolutely right for that part. And then they let you do your thing. They don't try to do the performance for you. But I So Stevens was like that. And I knew, though, that if I went overboard or I did something that wasn't quite right, that he would he would correct me. Now, the same way with Kazan. Kazan was like that. He was a great actress director. And he would sometimes say a little more, a little less, but he wouldn't say more than that. And he reveled in the fact that you yourself brought a character to life. Well, I mean, knowing uh, knowing that you were working with with the method at the time, I mean, how did was that something that you regularly wanted to employ in your in your acting? Because I know you know everybody hears the the horror stories of the method, you know, the Brandos and and how they employed it. But how did you want to, I guess, employ the method, or or did you in your performances? Oh no, no, I had to sign up with uh, Warner Brothers, and I was a bit overwhelmed by Baby. The fact that I, you know, they, I, nobody interviewed me when I was on Giant, even though I was under contract to Warner's, and um, the press was coming on the set. And <laughs> the Warner Brothers girl will always say, "Oh, why don't you talk to our new girl, Carol Baker?" But look here, there was Rock Hudson, Elizabeth Taylor, and James Dean. Yep. And everybody's standing in line. <laughs> they didn't want to know about any new girl. So the first real experience I had with the press was it was a Sunday morning. 
And as it happened, Giant took so long to cut. George always takes a very long time. It was a very long movie, too. And it happened that in New York, both films were opening within one week of the uh, oh, of no. one another, <laughs> Giant and Baby Doll. So I get a call, and I'm not very good in the morning. <laughs> And he said, call, and this guy talked so fast, and he said, this is Mr. So-and-so from the AP. Your film has just been condemned by the Legion of Decency. <laughs> this morning, Cardinal Spellman uh, stood up in St. Patrick's Cathedral and condemned the film. What have you got to say? And I said, which film? <laughs> <laughs> so that was my introduction into into interviews. <laughs> uh, well, and I mean, you know, I, as much as I know everybody, you know, loves Giant, for me, Baby Doll is, is kind of like the gold standard. I love Kazan, but I love this movie, and which which is why I was like, there's an opportunity yeah, to talk I, about I, this. I yeah, I do too. And it 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 didn't get a fair shake in this country. It did worldwide, but when when the Catholics banned it, you know, it lost distributors were and movie owners, movie theater owners were afraid to to run it. Right. It lost ninety percent of the bookings in America. <sighs> Ninety percent. And also, we were all so shocked and so hurt. But if you look at the movie, that you had the after studio, the wonderful, I mean, I, I still can't believe some of those performances. But at the top of it all was Tennessee Williams' words. Mm -hmm. They are so wonderful. And this was his only original screenplay. Mm -hmm. And the fact that it hasn't been, I wouldn't, I hate to see it be remade, but the <laughs> fact that they, they, they haven't talked about it, that they, they haven't forgiven whatever was wrong with the film, uh, that they haven't brought it back, because Tennessee Williams is really, I mean, he's, he's such a master. He's so wonderful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, for example, they did a play in London, and they used the Baby Doll movie script. And it was, the girl was a little too old, and the swing scene, which was so popular with the uh, with critics, um, they had the guy and the girl stand on opposite sides of the stage and say those lines like, oh, you make me so nervous and all of that. Do you know what? It worked. Really? It worked even though they didn't touch one another. Oh. They were even close because his dialogue is so powerful. It is. It really is. I mean, I'm, I, you know, have a master's in English, so I read Tennessee Williams kind of like required reading. And it always shocks me that that the baby doll does not get the, the criticism written about it. You know, the analysis for the dialogue, because it's, it's brilliant. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Yes. And it's, and, and also, you know, the, the fact is that it's very funny. Yeah, the whole thing is very, very funny. But once you say that it's condemned, everybody stops, stops mm -hmm. looking at it and saying, well, oh, there must be something wrong here. Uh, for example, Life magazine did a pre-production story on us, which was wonderful. Talked about how the, the film was shot in the South and everything about it, and very, very positive. And then, once the church condemned it, they came back with another article, and all the pictures were dark, and they were trying to insinuate, you know, all this sex was going on. <laughs> 
that wasn't it at all. No, no, not, not at all. Well, do you remember the the audition process for that? What what was I guess? How did Kazan bring you into the project? Oh. <laughs> Okay. Uh, Kazan knew me from the actor's studio, right. and he loved to discover new people, you know, have have, have new faces in, in, in roles. So he, uh, the studio was empty. It was just he and I and Tennessee, and I did a scene for them. I did an audition for them. And when it was over, Kazan smiled, and he said, that is really good. And Tennessee said, well, um, that's not quite the way I see the character. I mean, I see her, well, maybe if she could put on like 20 pounds and we could put big patches of rouge on her cheek. And Kazan turned to him and said, Tennessee, look, you already write bizarre characters. Let me put a human being in this. The bizarre stuff will come across anyway. We don't have to exaggerate it. Well, I mean, what was it like to read that script for the first time? I think so many people, I've shown this to, to several friends, and they're just, I think they're always taken aback by the, the realization that your character, you know, sleeps in a, a crib and the the implications of, of her marriage with Carl Malden's character. You know, upon reading the, the, the script, what, what went through your mind in terms of what type of project this was going to be? Oh, no. Well, I, listen, everybody's dream was to work with Kazan and mm-hmm. on Tennessee Williams' script. I mean, that was the ultimate. Everybody at the studio, I, I think probably everybody in in Hollywood <laughs> wanted to do the, the uh, Tennessee Williams. Well, I was going to say, I mean, reading the script for the first time and, and seeing oh, what goes oh, on oh. in it, what were your thoughts oh, initially? Listen, uh, yeah, I was floored. I was flabbergasted. And I really was a bit worried about, you know, this was such a special character. What was I going to do? So it was Kazan who took us all, took the cast uh, to um, Benoit, Mississippi, and we were there for like, I think it was three to four weeks before the film ever shot. And he wanted us to envelop all the, the the people in the town around us. He didn't want them to think of it that this is something suspicious that's happening about race relations or something. And so all the small parts, you know, they're not they're not uh, from the Screen Actors Guild. They're from local people there, and they they loved it. They were part of it. He made them part of the film. But also, it gave me a chance. I was invited to different dinner parties because Kazan asked that I be invited. And one of the first questions I asked was, I said, look, um, I find the name Baby Doll very strange. I said, you know, what? oh, they stopped me. They said, <laughs> oh, my cousin Alice, we always called her Baby Doll. And somebody else spoke up and said, well, we had a pet cow that we just loved, and she was our baby doll. Not exactly the same thing. (laughs) (laughs) No, but that already brought it to life for me, you know, the fact that it wasn't just a bizarre character, but this was a real uh, meaningful name in the South, in Mississippi. And then... 
with a with a uh, southern accent, I wasn't just copying, you know, what you hear on television or whatever. Mm-hmm. I met a woman. She was an older woman, and she had the the southern talk, but she lisped a little bit, and it was also baby talk. So I thought, oh my God, that's it. That's it. A southern accent with a bit of baby talk in it. And that's what my accent became. Well, watching the movie, I, I actually rewatched it before the interview because I wanted to be fresh on it. I, you know, even though it's coming at the, the end of 56, I, I always see baby doll as kind of like, I don't know if the, the word feminist is exactly the right word, but I always see her as kind of, you know, a rebel in, in the film in terms of how the, the male characters Oh, yeah. Oh, no, no, no. You know, she was sincere. I loved the scene where they were taking the furniture, and it just came to me at the last minute. They were picking up my chairs and taking away my furniture, <laughs> and I had that that purse on a string, and I started hitting the guys with the purse. Right, which was wonderful because it wouldn't hurt them, but it showed how angry I was. And also, I think the funny the funny story about the fact that you know uh, her daddy gave her. To Archie Lee, but he wasn't allowed to consummate the marriage until she turned 19, was Mm -hmm. it 19 or 20, I forget. I think it's 20. (laughs) 20, yeah. And and so it drove him mad, and, you know, she was trying to find every excuse not to uh, go through with that promise, and certainly one of the things was that the five rooms of furniture you promised my daddy you will give me five rooms of furniture, and now you put me in this old building. And he said, I was on the roof with my man this morning. <laughs> I mean, the house was falling apart. And the fact that he and a black man were up there with a, with a, a useless hammer or mm-hmm. something doing it. It was very funny. Yeah, it, it's a very fun. I mean, it's a very subversive film. You know, I think people forget that it's it's very funny at times. It's very sexy at times, and people, I think, miss all that. You know, they see the weirdness first. You know, the girl in a crib, yeah, and they're like, "We don't need the rest that, of it." You know, but that's the way the the press can influence uh, a film. For example, we used to say in the theater, in the Broadway theater, if the critics talked about how funny a play was. The audience came in and sat down laughing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You give Yeah, the fact that they the critics said it was funny, they were so prepared to see that it was funny that they were laughing as they sat down in the theater. It's it's amazing. I mean, I do film criticism in my in my spare time when I'm not doing other things for the entertainment world. And it's the interesting thing now is like most audience members assume that the critics are are obviously lying or they're getting paid. So now they don't even get that. You know, nobody goes in laughing because a critic says something. It's like, well, it must it must be awful now. Like there's this weird cynicism and it's very odd to see. Yeah, I know they don't have as much influence, but they still have influence. Yeah. I mean, in my time in Hollywood, Mosley Crowther was the critic at the New York Times, and he meant everything. And I kept waiting for him to say something nice. He didn't say anything bad, but he didn't say anything nice about me either. (laughs) So many years later, when he was gone, I was at a party, and I met um, his son. And his son said to me, 
Carol Baker. You were my father's favorite. He thought you were the meow of the cat. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, what? Your father never gave me a good review. Wow. And that was true. So maybe there are times when somebody thinks, well, if I like it this much, maybe I'm going overboard. Maybe yeah. I better just calm down. Yeah. I don't and, know. I, I, no, that definitely happens. That definitely happens. People, you know, especially critics, always get weird if their praise is too effusive. So they just don't yeah. give any. It's very weird. Um, but, uh, you know, Baby Doll has, you are anchoring a cast, at least I think you're, you're the lead of this movie more than anybody else. Um, they includes Carl Molden and, and Eli Wallach. Can you talk about working with with the both of them in two very different well, types I of mean, performances. They, they really represent pure acting, and they were mm -hmm. both from the studio. But also, I thought Millie Dummick was sensational yes, as yes. Anne Rose. I just thought she was so... I mean, I can't imagine anybody else being able to play that part, no. to tell you the truth. She was so wonderful. And yes, of course, from the studio, they were the actors. They already had lots of jobs, so of course, I looked up to them. I thought that was wonderful that, you know, I would get to not only have Tennessee Williams and uh, Elia Kazan, but I'd have Eli Wallach and Carl Molden and Millie Dunnick. Oh, my God. It was just a dream come true. Well, it's it's been fascinating to kind of look at, especially actresses in, in classic Hollywood and you know for for you you all to me you're the ultimate rebel because there's that this string of amazing films and you've made so many different different unique movies and then you went to Europe and, and started working there was there you know I guess now that we're talking so much about how women are treated in Hollywood was there that pressure to look a certain way act a certain way um, that yeah, went into yeah, yeah. well <clears throat> Joe Levine was a newcomer in, in, in films, and he thought he was Mike Todd. He wanted to be the next Mike Todd. But at any rate, I had had the, um, the front cover of, I don't know, the Daily News or something on Sunday. I had a, a, a strange hairdo I got in, in Paris, and I got a picture of it on the... And he saw me at the uh, Paris Ball or something, and he came up to me and he offered me Rena Marlowe. So, yes, of course I was going to do it. Yeah. I had turned down anything that was going to cast me just as a sex pot. Mm -hmm. And that was very difficult, you know, to try to do other things so that, you know, I wasn't just this little sexy girl from the South. And, and then, well... I had turned down so many parts like that, and I, I knew Harold Robbins, and I read the book, and I enjoyed the book very much, and I loved the character. But, for example, when with Warner Brothers, and they weren't wrong. They weren't wrong. It's just that I didn't want to do it. After Baby Doll, they bought all the Erskine Caldwell books. Do you remember Erskine Caldwell? The name sounds familiar. Oh yeah, he did. He did all these uh, little sexy southern things. It was one film. Oh gosh, I can't remember the actress now who did it. Where 
he be God's uh, little acre, right? Crawling up to it. She was. I wasn't allowed to see it, but I went to see it anyway. I, she was crawling up to this guy because she was hungry and he had food. So you got the impression that you know she was she was going to uh, lay down for him. But at the age that I saw it, I mean, I didn't get it, anything out of it. I just thought it was kind of weird that she was crawling. <laughs> yeah, he did. Um, he did tobacco. He wrote Tobacco Road, which tobacco I think they Road. turned. That's yeah, right. which he turned. That's right. That's right. That's the one I saw, yeah. And so they weren't wrong about that. They wanted to cash in on um, the the image and all the uh, publicity of Baby Doll. But, I, you know, I was, nobody knew me. And, and they were writing about me. They were saying that, uh, well, she is a little girl from the South. I mean, they didn't believe that I was an actress who was doing that part. Of course, of course. Uh, yeah. So at any rate, I was making $750 a week. My salary, by the way, never got much beyond that. Uh, <laughs> I wish I had been part of this million dollars. Well, it's, it's like Mar Marilyn Monroe only made, I think they said like $500 a week up until like she started. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause she started, yeah, she yeah. started before me. So at any rate, um, I was turning down everything, and then Warner Brothers wasn't paying me, and it was hard for me, and I wanted to work, but I just, I didn't want to do a poor imitation of Baby Doll. Mm -hmm. That's what I didn't want to do. So it went on and on. I was on suspension for, I don't know how long, how many months. Then finally, Jack Warner's son-in-law, Bill Orr, who was a wonderful guy, I love Bill Orr. And he came to me and he said, "Listen, Carol, nobody understands you. I don't understand, you know." And I said, "Well, I just don't want to do a poor imitation of Baby Doll." He said, "All right, you've been on suspension for months now. Now there's a project that you will not be able to turn down." I said, "Oh, great! What?" He said, "You're going to plan none." <laughs> okay, so how much further from Baby Doll could you get than a nun? So when I did the miracle, I didn't read the script. They just told me I was going to be a nun. When, uh, <laughs> when I did the miracle, I wasn't really a nun. I was a postulate. And I was a postulate for like three minutes of movie time <laughs> when Roger Moore came riding by on a white stallion and he was so handsome and he had a red army uniform on. And that was it. She left the convent. <laughs> and, and, and she went all over the world and she had affairs with everybody. There was nobody that she didn't have an affair with. She became like the biggest star ever to enter the <laughs> <into> Europe. <laughs> So they got their sex anyway. Uh, well, I mean, I guess how did that transition into, I mean, doing the, the work that you did in the 60s, stuff like Something Wild, and you mentioned the carpetbaggers. I mean, was there yes, a push? Well, yeah, but see, I had done so many things in between that. Mm -hmm. I had I loved Westerns, and I had done The Big Country. Right. And How the West Was Won, and, and um, I worked again with John Ford, who I adored, Cyan Autumn. Mm -hmm. And by that time, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd been in Hollywood like nine years, and I thought, look, with all the parts I've done, this is what I wanted to achieve. Now it's not going to mean anything, you know, that I do a sexy part because 
I've done uh, all these other parts, too. So people are not going to say, oh, well, she's just a sex symbol. Oh, but that's what happened. <laughs> when I, I mean, I, it was amazing to, to think of you were one of two actresses that played Jean Harlow in, in the 60s, you and Carol Lindley. Um, yes. Who, who unfortunately passed, you know, recently. Um, you, I guess uh, in 1965, when you get offered the part of Jean Harlow and you're trying to fight being classified as a sex symbol, what went into all of that? Oh, no, it, it, but it was afterwards that, you know, uh, during the film, uh, I didn't get so much of that. Mm-hmm. But um, I didn't think that that, the, that they would come by and be so... Well, Marilyn was gone, and I suppose mm-hmm. they were missing something, but I was n- n- in no way like Marilyn. I was the complete opposite yeah. of Marilyn. I was I was um, aggressive. Uh, she was very passive. Uh, she never uh, pretended to be very smart. So, you know, I was a total opposite of that. And as a matter of fact, well, it was Harold Robbins as well as me, but in creating Rena Marlowe, who was so forward mm-hmm. and, you know, she didn't take guff from anybody and so forth. She was a strong woman. In Hollywood today, if you see the films, there are no uh, women who are, uh, you know, subjects of abuse anymore. The women are the uh, aggressive ones. Yeah. Is, and I think that's Harold Robbins and me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it, to go back to back between the Carpetbaggers and Harlow, which seemed very much like throwbacks to this, this different time, even though they were coming out in the mid-60s. I mean, what was it like to do those two very different projects relatively close together? Well, you know, um, because uh, everybody... <laughs> talked about how sexy I was in the carpetbaggers. Mm-hmm. And then Joe Levine, unfortunately, Joe Levine was uh, not just the producer of the carpetbaggers, but he was a part of my contract. He made himself, uh, I was under contract to not just Paramount, Paramount Levine. Wow. And so I had a difficult time with him, very, very difficult time with him. And he and I were in, in disputes, and then it made me in dispute with Paramount, and that's why I left Hollywood and, and went to Europe, because I had to work. Well, you know, if you're in the, the league of women who are often kind of cited as wanting to do more. I mean, you're up there with Ida Lupino for me. You know, if you're suspended in Hollywood during that time period, that just meant that you you were a woman who knew what you wanted and you were awesome. So, but, I mean, what was it like once you decided to leave Hollywood and, and go to Europe? What was that? Was that transition easy for you? The thought of leaving was very difficult at first because I had two young children, too. Mm-hmm. I had a boy and a girl, and they were uh, seven and eight. And <clears throat> But I think what, he- what helped was I started seeing a lot of European films, and I loved them. I loved some of the European films. I mean, Hiroshima, Mon Amour, you know, and uh, so many other great films. And also, 
at the Venice Film Festival, you know, every year, I don't know about it anymore because I don't follow those things very closely anymore, but every year they used to invite a big star from Hollywood to be the guest of honor. Mm -hmm. And they invited me to the Venice Film Festival. And that gave me a new life, uh, you know, after all these fights with Joe Levine and Paramount and being a blackballed in Hollywood and everything, the fact that they gave me this great honor. And then from that, I got my first Italian movie. So it was easy. It was an easy transition, which I thought was going to be difficult. But in the end, I got such love and wonderful feelings from the Italians that it was great. It was just great for me. When you brought up the, you know, the concept of being blackballed, and that was something that I had always heard in, in doing research on your career, that it was something that was unspoken, you know, that, that you had been blackballed from Hollywood. Can you talk a little about, about that? Uh, well, it, it was just Joe Levine and I coming to loggerheads. I mean, he really wore me out because he thought he was the next Mike Todd. And I did publicity day and night and day and night. You know, it, it was more work than doing the films. And um, because he, he just, he wanted to promote, promote, promote. I mean, there were days when I got so tired, I used to just have to go into a corner and cry. I didn't know what else to do. So when it came to a point where I said to him, you've got to take it easy on me, then he turned against me. Well, to go back, I guess, to it's it's always going to be shocking to me that you are not, you know, a multiple Academy Award nominee because you should you should have many awards, in my opinion. But you were nominated for Baby Doll um, in a stacked year alongside Deborah Carr and Katherine Hepburn and Ingrid Bergman. Can you talk about do you remember the nomination and, oh, and yeah, the ceremony? Um, they used to do it. In, in both coasts at, mm-hmm. uh, at that time. Yeah. And um, the, 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 two, <laughs> the two nominees who were in New York was myself and Anna Magnani. Mm-hmm. Now, there's nobody I loved more than Anna Magnani. I worshipped Anna Magnani. I think she was so great. So when they didn't call my name, it was okay because they didn't call my favorite actress's name either. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's amazing to think that Ingrid Bergman won that year and she didn't even show up. Well, it was, yeah, because it was such a sentimental thing. The fact that they had been so mean to her and then finally she was coming back. And, you know, she, she really got along better in Hollywood than I did. I never tried to ingratiate myself, which is stupid. <laughs> I was also stupid. <laughs> uh, no, you know that's it's, you're up there with the the greats, in my opinion. So I, yeah, no. Well, and I guess the the last question I have because I don't want to take up your entire day as much as I, I would totally be okay with that. Well, I, you're talking about Baby Doll at the Film Forum uh, in December. You know, can you talk about honoring this film finally, 63 years later? Well, yeah, I was at the Film Forum a couple months back because there was a British film of mine who seemed to be lost and somebody found a print of it and it was I guess my second favorite film after Baby Doll. It was called Station Six Sahara. Mm-hmm. And I loved that movie so much. So they got a hold of it at the, the film forum. And I called up and I said, my God, I've got to be there. 
please, can't you? Oh, they were thrilled. They said, oh, yeah, well, we'll, we'll sell more tickets if you're here. <laughs> so while I was being interviewed after Station 6 Sahara, I was saying to the audience that I loved Baby Doll, that I thought it had been unfairly treated, and that it should be brought back. And the guy in charge said, okay, we're going to bring it back. And they set a date. <laughs> and that's amazing. I mean, it's it's a movie that deserves all the love that it that it should have. Well, did I, I'll throw out one last question. I promise this is the last one. You worked with pretty much every great director, I would say, um, that you can think of, whether that's Bob Fosse, yeah, Ilya. I, I didn't work with Billy Wilder. That's right. I wish I had worked with Billy Wilder, but I didn't get a chance to. <laughs> and Paul Newman wanted to work with him, too. Oh, and Paul and Joanne were friends of mine, but Paul I knew years before Joanne knew him. Oh, really? And, um, we used to walk around. Um, on He and Steve McQueen were friends of mine when we were just walking around looking for jobs in New York. <laughs> and so I knew Paul very well. And as much as I liked him and he liked me, there was never a spark between us. Wow. So, you know, so I was very happy when he he married Joanne. Then we were at this uh, special restaurant where everybody, I can't even remember the name of it, where everybody in Hollywood used to go. And Billy Wilder was at the front door. Paul Newman came over and picked me up so that I screamed and so forth, so that I was in Paul's arms when Billy Wilder walked in. <laughs> Paul wanted um, him to cast the two of us in one of his films. Oh, my God. Uh, it's and unfortunate. And, you know, Paul Newman got me my first big agent. It was because of him. I was I was walking down Madison Avenue, and I ran into Paul. He said, you're the person I've been looking for. Come with me. We're going to go and audition for Picnic. I said, what? He said, yes. He said, I want to be signed by the best agent in the business, and that's MCA. And you and I are going to go in, and we have to audition even for the agent to take us on, and we're going to do a scene from Picnic. Uh, now, he was on the stage in Picnic. He, he played the second part, but he wanted to play the main part. And we we did the audition, and all oh, the Maynard Morris and the other woman, oh, they loved us. Yes, yes, yes. So he gave, gave me the chance to become a client of the biggest talent agencies. That was so wonderful. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. So at any rate, after he picked me up, I mean, I knew... I knew See, Paul was very ambitious, and he knew how to, uh, to attract people to him and get work and so forth. So that's why he picked me up. <laughs> but of course, Joanne was very upset. But there was nothing sexual about it, because if there had been, I had years before <laughs> known him so well that if we were going to have an affair, we would have had it then. So I had, a, I had a, quite a time before I could get Joanne to approve of me again. Well, is there, do you have a co-star or a director that, that you, that sticks out to this day that you just love working with? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry I never got to work with Martin Scorsese. Oh my gosh, that would be amazing. Yeah, I know, I know. I don't know if he's still working, I don't know what's going on with him. Oh, he's he's got a movie coming out this week. Really? Yeah, yeah. 
it's another another mobster movie with uh, De Niro and Pesci and Pacino. Oh, yeah. how wonderful! I love monster movies. Oh yeah, yeah. He's got he's got a new one. Yeah. I really love monster movies. Yeah, I love anything that sort of takes me out of um, all the problems that go on in the world today. I, mean, I don't want to see a movie about somebody who's dying of cancer or something. <laughs> I don't want to see anything like that. No. You've got enough of that if you just listen to the news. Exactly, exactly. So, no, oh my gosh, if he if he ever comes back to a, I do the Turner Classic Movie Film Festival every year, and I know he's been there a couple of times. So I'm gonna be. I'm gonna have a big sign well, or something. Says inv- they have a film festival. Yes, but they've never invited me. Oh my god! Okay, now I'm gonna have to get in touch with the people I know there and demand this. Uh, if, well, if you're you, down, well, you know the interesting thing is that they have been so good to me. I had one afternoon that was devoted to me, and mm-hmm. since then they have had. Uh, Two evenings of Carol Baker yep. films, and that means they show them almost 24 hours. They show so many films. They've been very good to me. Yeah. But they never asked me to come to a festival. Oh, so my Maybe gosh. they don't ask actors. Do actors They do. Go? No, they, 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 they do. Um, several of them go. So I know that, I know that the one they couldn't, they, there's a couple they can't get because, you know, they're, Olivia de Havilland um, is too, too, um, still to travel, so she doesn't show up. But no, I, I'm surprised they have not reached out. You know, I'm going to post the people well, that, that I know. I about it. I'm surprised. Too. Yeah, yeah. I've been to festivals all over the world. Some of the most wonderful, wonderful festivals. And I, you know, I was going to every festival. I was never invited to go to theirs. I'm going to drop them an email because they, you know, <laughs> I, I, they invite me every year, and they're they're friends of mine over there. I'm going to email them and tell them that they need to get okay. on this. Now, so now let me tell you about. December 11th. Yes. I, I'm so happy that, you know, you you give the uh, film forum some uh, advertisement. And they are, they, they just had me a few months ago for this showing for once of this film that was, seems to have been lost. And then I said, we've got to bring Baby Doll back. And so he scheduled Baby Doll. And this time, you know, I'm also trying to sell books. Mm-hmm. So the marvelous thing is they're going to show Baby Doll. Then Foster Hearst, who's incredible. You know who he yes. is. He's a film um, historian. Mm-hmm. He's wonderful. He's going to interview me. And then we always get questions from the audience, which are interesting questions. And then they have a concession stand outside at the film forum. They're going to sell my book, and I'm going to sit in the lobby, and anybody who buys the book, I'm going to sign it for them. Uh, see, those people are lucky and should be honored. So it makes me sad that I live on the yeah, West Coast. Well, I sat, you know, uh, uh, the last film, I, I sat in the lobby, and I shook hands with everybody, and I I signed their photographs or whatever they had. But this time, I really want them to get the book. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. So when you write the article, remember that the book is important to I me. Will, I will include it for sure. I'm actually upset now that I live in L.A. I can't come to this. So I can't, I can't, yeah, enjoy part of the movie and the book. So I'm going to have to... <laughs> Just purchase on Amazon. That'll that'll be as good as. Yeah, so. Am- yeah Amazon. Yeah. Perfect. Amazon. 
Yeah. Listen, call me back and let me know after you've read the book if you like it. If you don't like it, just forget about it. <laughs> I think it's very special. Oh, I will. It's, I will. Uh, it's, it's completely unconventional. It's it's not exact. It, nothing is what you expect. Oh, and see, so, I'm a fan yeah, of Yeah, if you Matt. enjoy it, call me back and let me know. Yeah, and I'll definitely make sure that once this is written that you know about it and you can, you know, read it and hopefully I do you justice. Then I will get on TCM about making sure that you know about the uh, the festival. It's, it's every year in, in Hollywood in April. You're a princess. Oh, thank you so much. Coming <laughs> from you, that, that means so much to me. So I appreciate okay, you so darling. much well, taking the time. Well, talking to you. And I want to meet you in person someday. Oh, oh my gosh. Anytime. You name the, the time and place and I'll be there. So thank <laughs> okay. you so much, Carol. Thank you. Oh, thank you, darling. Thank you so much. 